Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. What is happening? You know what? We can only do the best we can do, and anything outside of that would be presumptuous. Okay, let's see if this works. What the dilly? What Billy. the dilly, Billy? How, on a scale of one to ten, how hungover are you? Thirty-six. I'm like a solid five, four. I'm okay. Yeah. The uh, bike ride over here helps. Like I do think every time I'm hungover, and I work out. And by the way, that's very rare that that happens because like I don't ever. But I had to come over here, and right. in order to come over here, I had to get on my bike. So I had to work out, and I do think it does make you feel better. I, oh, I feel like garbage. I, I would recommend sleeping over whatever you just said. This is going to be really hard to find like words and things. Mm. Like my brain feels 10 steps behind my mouth. Well, dear readers, here's what happened. We got Matt back turned 42 from last night. And Matt turned 42. Koa fell in the trash last night. In that trash can. Wait, wait, on that side? Yes. Into the trash. <laughs> so, slow down. Okay, so why is that kid falling off the bed all the time? Um, I don't know. I think that's normal. Don't kids fall off beds? I think I fell off the of beds often. Did I tell you what happened when I when he fell off the bed and I heard it? No. In a previous podcast? Did we not talk about this? I was working late at night. Y'all went to bed. I was working late at night in Maine. I think it might have been the last night. So, we had recorded our final main, the main recordings, as we'll call them, famously. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the main recording. The main tapes. The main tapes. Thank you. The basement tapes, the main tapes. And I was working and really fucking exhausted. And all of a sudden I hear like a boom mm-hmm. and Koa crying. And I hear Matt get up and take care of him. And I like stood outside of the door being like, am I needed? What do I do? What do I do? Because he just like fell and he was crying. And he was hurt. And I like went in the freezer. I saw a little boo-boo buddy. So I went in and I was like, there's a little ice if he wants it for his head. And apparently Koa has a little bump on his head from it, which is really sad. Mm-hmm. But he was like crying and he goes, Papa, can I tell Kaylee what happened? <laughs> and Papa was what do you like, say to you? And I was like, of course. And I held his hand. He was, and it was dark and I had like my little iPhone light. And mm-hmm. he was like, Kaylee, I fell out of bed and it really hurt. <laughs> 
Oh, my baby. Oh, he's so fucking cute. And I was like, oh, I'm so sorry that it happened, buddy. I'm so sorry you did. It's so scary. And whatever. And Matt was like, thank you for telling her that story, Koa. Yeah. Like, You're welcome. <laughs> oh, God. That's really sad and cute. I just thought it was really cute. I was like, can I tell Kiwi what happened? Oh, man, those babies. I love those kids. So, dear readers, we had a, a little birthday party for Matt last night. Um... And we stayed up late and we threw some back. And I got to say, um, having beverages and then like breastfeeding in the middle of the night and then breastfeeding in the morning, it's a very different kind of hungover. It's like, uh, I just have no more to give, you know, thousand percent. And I just want to lie down in the dark and be left alone is my truth. But instead here I am with you. <laughs> Well, I woke up at 8.30, so I came to the party. I was really irresponsible. I came to the party, and I was like, I still have some stories to research. Carrie kept saying last night while drinking, well, and then I got to go home and do my research. And I was like, you're nuts, because you're not leaving this party, going home, and, like, Googling murder. And I did. And I did. And I Googled, yes, the story that I'm going to tell today. You researched last night? Yes, I researched last night, and I researched one this morning. Oh, my God, you're nuts. You're so nuts. I watched a video last night that I will tell in mine and I and I cried I it was I was drunk and it was really hard to watch I'll be honest like I my story was I don't recommend doing that I was like I, don't I know can't what, believe you did anything after that you guys we stayed up late it was really fun at it the was end late of the for night you for the record I got home at like 11 30 I stayed up till ma 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 midnight. Can you believe the you did witching that? hour? You did and it. what I loved was you went to your own bed. We thought it was gonna rain, and it didn't, and it was gorgeous. gorgeous. And then the sky opened up, and it was <sighs> carrying me, and, and I guess like bigs. nine gays. Truly, the dream. I guess it makes it a gazebo that we were in, and we <laughs> got under the gazebo. The sky opened up. We ate pizza together, it and it rained, and it was awesome. Rain. There was huge thunder that lasted like three seconds, like boom, like I that love long. Big and it was so amazing. My back was getting wet, and it was like, like oh, it was absolutely perfect. It was. Why was your back getting wet? I was That's near disturbing. the gazebo where like the wind was coming in, so like the oh, rain was kind uh-huh. of falling on me, and I gave two shits like i did not care you were like one bit give me another I said, white claw and, and let's do this i didn't have any white claw what i did say is i said call me hillary duff because let the rain pour down and wake my dreams is what i said last night wow beautiful two people beautiful sentiment left. they knew the other people were not into you didn't hear me okay i think people were into me though i think it was i think i made yeah, a good you showing seem, you seem generally well accepted i was accepted in fact it was I had a really great time yesterday for two reasons. One was I met a hetero. So all of the, the reason why I was the one that was around is because I'm single and I have no life because all the other people that we knew were in relationships or had lives or had kids. And so they left early. Right. And so oh, right. it was like me and Quinn, cause Quinn, it was Quinn and Matt's house. It was Matt's birthday. And then it was like a bunch of gays. And I was like, I feel really like we're kindred spirits. But that's what that wasn't beside the point. I met a heterosexual couple and I was talking to him, the husband, about his kids and like marriage. And he's like, do you want one? And I was like, yes, I do want a child. I just need to find a sperm donor with someone I like attached to it. He's like, so you're looking for a donor? I was like, no, no, no. You misunderstand me. I'd like a partner to have a kid with. In an ideal world, that's what I want. Right. 
Um, if we're if we're saying dreams, that's the dream. And <laughs> we're uh, all just saying our dreams if here. Saying, if this is a dream podcast, I got you. <laughs> and he was like, "Oh, um, I, I'll see what I can do." And I was like, totally taken aback by it. Yeah, because I was, but it was so thrilling that I was like, "You were like, someone's gonna help me. Someone's gonna help me." Like I have a little, and he's a professor at NYU, so I was like, "Okay, sweet. Like I'll someone who's tenured, great. Like sure." Sonia, he's like, are you okay with divorce? I was like, I beggars can't be choosers. You know, I mean, like, yeah. this is something that I have to realize. I'm divorced. You're divorced and you're great. And I'm a great catch. You're such a catch. Oh my God, can I tell you something so funny? I was on the interweb, perhaps you've heard of it, mm, um, Le Facebook. And ah, yes. I, Vintage. somebody was writing on one of the many, like, murder rooms I'm in. They were like, hey, I'm getting married. I don't love the, like, garter tradition I hate that tradition. And they were like... Sorry, no offense it, to our dear readers done it. I, I have a hard time with it. They said, does anybody have like a riff on it? And what it reminded me of is at my first wedding, <laughs> do you know what I did? What'd you do? Um, I iced my groom. Incredible. Do you know Smirnoff Ice? Where yeah, of like, course, if I, did you ice someone, I did to my sister. I did to my sister. If you trick someone into revealing a Smirnoff Ice, they instantly have to take a knee and kneel. And, and chug the it. whole thing. It is and the most heinous drink. They're nasty. I have five in my refrigerator in my parents' house just in case. Just in case you have to ice someone. Yeah. Yeah. Let's so bring back I, the early 2000s. I you know? duct taped one to my inner thigh so that when he would go get the garter, he would actually get iced. That's very funny. Yeah. I was proud I of still, that. The, the garter tradition, any, the, any, the idea of having to go under a dress in front of your friends and family is like so Nasty. aggressive. It's disgusting. <laughs> so it's just, and a woman throws flowers. It's like, no, I'm going to do a reverse. He can throw his boutonniere and I'll fucking drop his trow and like see what I can find. You know what I mean? Like that's <laughs> what I want. Just skip all of it. Those are what I I like the bouquet dress. I've caught so many bouquets. Well, throwing I'm things really and catching them is for fun. the record. I'm really good at catching a bouquet. I caught my first one when I was like ten years old, and Gross. I've caught like three or four. See, that's disturbing too. Because if the tradition is like you're <laughs> destined for men, it's like here's the trick. Anybody, here's my pro tip for you. Men, ugh, it's gendered, but let's just relax. Let's just move on. The garter toss, you want to be further back, or no? You either want to have a high jump, be up top, but for for the um, uh, bouquet toss, think about when you throw it behind your back. You don't throw it straight back. You threw it in. A, you throw it in a really high arc. Yeah, please. So it's you stand it towards arc. the you stand towards the front because it doesn't go far back. So if you're far back, you're fucked. Yeah, you gotta be front, and then you jump and grab it. And I've done it multiple times. And I'm not an athlete, but when it comes to a bouquet toss, I am a savant. That's incredible. Really impressive. Okay, and then the second time that was great at your party was when Adam was talking to a new guy I had met, and he was very sweet. And he was like, "Do you have any straight friends for Carrie? Any straights?" They kept asking, "Does anybody know any straights? Any straights? <laughs> any straights? Anyone? Any straights? Any straights?" And I was like loving it. And they were like, "She." They were. I got. I got so boosted in that way. And I'm, I'm going on a hinge date tonight. Um, wow. I can't believe you're going on a date tonight. That I'm sounds going to like Dirty my Precious. worst nightmare. Oh, I love Dirty Precious. You guys all were like, go to Dirty Precious. And I said, it's okay. the best. What I like about it is that I'm getting out there. Oh, get out there, girl. Anyhow, moral of the story is, is I'm about to get fixed up for Matt's 42nd birthday party. And I'm thrilled. That's all Matt wished for when he blew out his candles. There was no candles to Quinn, don't lie. 
There was no candles and no cake. Am I bad at this throwing a party thing? No, Matt doesn't want cake. I gave your family diabetes when they were in Maine. Like fully. <laughs> oh God, I like, we ate so many treats. Well, I, I, what is it about me? If I'm on vacation and I go to the grocery store, I'm like a reckless cannon. Like I go to a grocery store, especially if it's like a little market and there's local treats. I have to get them. Got to get all the local treats. And Matt treats. would be like, a whoopie Gotta... pie? Do yep. you want to get a blueberry pie? I'm like, I think I have to, actually. Got to collect them all. And I did. And I you have did. honestly no regrets about it. Besides that, Koa's teeth are falling out. Other than that, like, everything is fine. Yeah, I feel good. I mean, <laughs> I feel really bad, if I'm being honest. But By the way, you're listening to Truly Darkly Creepy. That's Carrie Ippema. And that's Quinlan Posner. And we're hungover. <laughs> we are are making you a podcast even though we don't feel good. And here's the truth of it. The last couple episodes, we've been a little tipsy. So I think it's only right for continuity purposes that we're a little hungover today. We have to respect it's a PBS, the continuity. Yeah. Yeah. The more you know. And we want to be frank with you that when you drink, you will eventually get hungover. hungover. There are consequences to your actions. Mm. We're here to remind you of those consequences and to say, don't drink and podcast. Or if you do, then you should podcast hungover as well. Yeah, because well, I think it's honesty. important for lessons. Mm-hmm. And this is a podcast about lessons, if nothing else. It's always been about that. I thought this was true crime. <laughs> We're like, no, 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 no. It's not at all true crime. It's a lesson It's podcast. really poorly researched, <laughs> partly true, but lots of conjectured crime. It's so much. Or it's not. sometimes not crime. Spoiler alert. Mine is not about crime. Mine... Sort of isn't either. This will be interesting. Do you want to hear my story? Yeah, of course. I got my information from CNN, The Post, BuzzFeed, but mainly a really great article by DT Max. Oh, it's from The New Yorker. I don't know if I want to say what it's called because it. Yeah. I'm not going to tell you the name of the article. No spoiler. Okay, no spoilers. So. Except in the next 20 minutes when. <laughs> when the story unfolds. And then it's spoiler after spoiler after spoiler. <laughs> Truman State University is in. Kirksville, Missouri. Mm-hmm. The school has like the sameish number of undergrads as Princeton, but it has an endowment that is five hundred times smaller. No one Isn't likes it, like, it there. The Harvard of Missouri or something. It's like a really good school. You know what? It's a good school, and it's a school that people seem to be pretty unhappy at. <laughs> they do offer counseling services. I'm going to say, but they're pretty inadequate. And we're going to start the story there. Four years ago, there was a sophomore that went around and interviewed alums about counseling at the Mm -hmm. school and then kind of made a report and gave it to the administration. One kid that he interviewed said that when he spoke to a therapist, they said that their feeling of anxiety was, quote, all in their head. There was a student that thought they were that was like, I believe that I'm trans and their counselor said, maybe you're just a butch lesbian like Ellen DeGeneres. Oh my God. I'm sorry. It's so not it's funny. So, but it's like, it's, it's so, so bad horrifying that, that you have to laugh. Because the thing is, is like, this is what people think passes as fucking counseling. Like, it's yeah. all in your head. Yeah. And when, you're not. Mm-hmm. Ugh. One person was like, oh, I, th- I think I'm having a lot of anxiety and depression because I'm overwhelmed by how much work I have at school. Right. And the counselor was like, I think it's probably because of abuse 
in your childhood. And basically this student was like, they were trying to shift the blame instead of hear me out about what I was stressed. It's about So that student started heavily drinking and said that that was really common, that a lot of their friends were like drinking a lot. Um, And they were saying Truman did this to us. Like the school is creating this problem. It's killing us. There was an eight month period where a lot of students committed suicide and Truman put out this notice saying, if you have mental health issues, you should probably go somewhere else. Like not a different school, but somewhere else for help, like not our counseling services. They were kind of like putting their hands up in the air being like, we don't know um, what to do. if we're you're suicidal, like just so you know, we don't want a piece of that. Like we can't help you. Oh I'm going to talk about some of those suicides. Alex Mullins was a sophomore there and was put on academic probation and also went and saw counselors at the mental health clinic and then stopped, then was a a rising junior, returned to school. He was then 21, and he was coming, getting ready to start junior year. Right. Moved back into Kirksville to get ready for the school year and was living close to campus. And he was part of the fraternity Alpha Kappa Lambda. Right. His mom says when he was getting ready to go back to junior year, he was really happy, and that in general he was a happy guy. Before... The semester starts. He he has a night where he plays video games with a friend of his and then goes to a bar. And he runs into a girl he used to date. They chat. At 1.30 that night, He Alex texts his stepfather and is like, are you still up? Then the stepfather tries to get in touch with Alex, but there's no answer. Alex used to be the house manager of the fraternity. Mm-hmm. I don't totally know what that means. I think it's, you would probably know more than I would. Probably. I think a house manager. It's like an RA vibe. Yeah, I feel like it's, I mean, I'm probably doing it wrong. I've If I were to assume what a house manager is, is they like help manage the house. Like in your fraternity, there's like roles. Mm-hmm. And I bet he manages like the RA, but also probably like help or things like that. Just make sure everything runs yeah, yeah. orderly at the fraternity Well, so that house. used to be his job. It's now this other guy's job, Brandon Grossheim. And they're friends also. So the next day, Brandon notices that Alex isn't around and goes to his room and the door's locked. They were buddies. So he's like, what's going on? He goes and tries to peek in Alex's window. And he can see from peeking in the window that his friend has killed himself. His body is hanging from a wardrobe. So Brandon freaks out, yells for help. Someone calls the police. When they show up, Brandon shows them Alex through the window and they take out the screen to get in the room that way. And Brandon runs in and like tries to lift Alex's body Mm. to relieve the pressure. But it's too late. So at one point, because I guess it was, I don't know, maybe, maybe like Alex's sports number, favorite number. I'm not sure where they got this, but for some reason... They put a large number seven in the upstairs window. That was like his lucky number. That right. And so to commemorate him, they do that. Three weeks after this death, there's a party at Alpha Kappa Lambda. The same fraternity? Yeah. And Jake Hughes, who's a friend of both Brandon's and Alex's, gets into a fight with his girlfriend. 
because she had broken his bong. Typical college God. fight situation. No, this is not a good time to interject with that, but I'll never forget being at a party freshman year at a dorm room. And I was offered a bong, and I took it. No, you I, can't take that. And I coughed it, and the bong water went all over the Oh my god! Their bed. It was so embarrassing, and I left, and I felt so embarrassed. But now I feel like proud because they were real creeps and bros and gross, and I just got dirty bong water all over their That's so disgusting. I was hor. I was so lame. Oh, don't try to be cool, folks. You fail. I'm sorry. That was a horrible interjection, but that's what I wanted to say. So, um, you're you're fine. So, Jake runs into Brandon after he has this fight with his girlfriend. He's like, drive my girlfriend home, would you? And they, both these guys were hit really hard by Alex's death, obviously. Yeah. And they had kind of recently become closer, I think, because of that, because they were the both tragedy. friends with Alex. So, Brandon drives his girlfriend home? Mm-hmm. And he's like, are you okay? To Jake. And Jake's like, kind of, I think, put brushes it off a little he's like yeah there's gonna be other people around i'm okay like i'll be fine i'll call you later brandon returns to the party after he drops off jake's girlfriend Mm -hmm. and it's still going on um he talks to some people and then he's like oh i i should check in on jake and he goes to his room and knocks no response maybe because he's the house manager he has a key he goes in and finds him hanging from his wardrobe dead in the same way that Alex was. Oh, my God. He yells for help again. And another fraternity member says that he saw Brandon kind of, like, caress Jake and lower him and try to administer CPR. Typically, does the article cover if typically suicides do, like, copy? Is that something that, like, is the... It's not contagious. It's not the right word, but is it, like... It's known that in communities where somebody kills themselves, you often see other people kill themselves. And the administration does sort of assume it was Alex's suicide that somehow sort of triggered Jake's. Um, There was also this study done that the article talks about in 1978 where 500 people were stopped from jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge, which suggests that it's really impulsive often Mm -hmm. the idea to commit suicide it's not a super premeditated thing when you stopped these people from jumping off the bridge only five percent of them try again later and and succeed in killing themselves i know this is also an interjection but i think it's worth noting if you or anyone you know suffer there's Please go to the hotlines, please. 1-800-273-8255. They put that hotline on the bridge. Did you know that? When this study came out, they were like, let's throw this hotline up on the bridge. I did a show called Post Secret, the show, which Mm -hmm. toured, and that dealt, we actually did crisis intervention training when I got that role because we would reveal secrets, people would reveal secrets to us, and one of the whole things was about the Golden Gate Bridge and how Post Secret, like, people shared these, you know, this it, it was really powerful of like how yeah. how the Golden Gate Bridge really transformed into that number is all over it. There are people that sometimes just go and volunteer and stand on the bridge and yeah. like help. I mean, it's pretty remarkable. So in 2018, suicide was the second most common cause of death among young Americans, like between ages 10 and 24. It's totally an epidemic. Accidental death is the only thing like above that. Wow. 
And then you're like, whoa, that was 2018. What the fuck did COVID do to those numbers? I don't even want to know. So at this time, though, people obviously, because of these two suicides, are really worried about Brandon. And they kind of are like, we should follow him. Like, we should clock him a lot. Like, we don't want that guy to end up being number three. We don't want him being alone. He's getting drunk all the time and stoned. He's getting really withdrawn. He said he had PTSD pretty much. He gets, his grades are suffering. Um, So the school actually lets him get cats as support animals. And he's seen a counselor there. As we talked about, the counseling sucks. Roll the eyes. He is like, this sucks and stops going. I don't think it's helping him. Um, He does start to wear Jake's and Alex's clothing Mm -hmm. um and some friends talk about being creeped out that jake he starts to kind of mimic jake it feels like is this thing a white female in his mannerisms like he's just like mimicking his mannerisms and stuff like they're like there's a way that jake would be with us and we feel like brandon's being that way and it's kind of disturbing to us um he starts to date girls that also dated Alex and Jake. And it's interesting that you're like, oh, single white female, um, which is our favorite joke, by the way, dear readers, that Carrie's always trying to single white female me. But um, I think that I look at this... I'm of two different minds about this. On the one hand, I can see where if you lose someone, you're defensive of that person and miss them. And if somebody else that feels close to them is wearing their clothes and speaking like they do or dating their girlfriend, you would be like, that creeps me out. I totally yeah. get that. And I get that it might even make you feel angry. Yeah. I also totally get that for Brandon. It's like a way to make him feel close to them, maybe. Maybe. It's like a baby. I also don't really understand the dynamics of the school where, for instance, wearing your college friend's clothing, dating somebody that a friend of yours dated are things that are sometimes much more accepted. Like, if you went to a small high school, you probably... There would be, like, you and your two girlfriends all ended up dating the same guy at some point because there was, like, three cool guys to date. I don't know. Like, things like that happen, and they don't always mean more than that. Yeah. So I'm also, like... I. A lot of people are giving that credence, and I don't know if it was... You can see both sides of it. Of like, I can understand why this makes you feel uncomfortable. I can understand maybe why it's weird, but I can also understand why it's comforting for this person to do it, and and also why it's not a big deal at all. And why maybe it just didn't mean anything. Totally. But it's easy to see it that way. It's easy to put it on... it's easy to put it on in retrospect and also like I think death does change things right like I think you become hyper aware I also think with suicide you do always try to search for someone to blame right Mm -hmm. like there's also like if there's you just want something to get mad at because you can't get mad at the person who ended their lives right so in 2016 new character in the story Josh Thomas he is 18 he's a freshman and he rushes Alpha Kappa Lambda. Let me explain one reason why he rushes. So he is um, a kid with really good grades. He also has depression. Mm-hmm. His whole thing is that he's gay and he went to the mental health services and oh, no. they were like, I think you're maybe just bi. Oh my God. And it really upsets him. He stops going to therapy, but he rushes 
Alpha Kappa Lambda because he knows about the suicides that happened and he knows that it's potentially made that fraternity more aware of mental health problems. And he feels like with his depression, it it could be actually a good fit for him to be there because they're much more sensitive to that sort of thing. He meets Brandon and Brandon's like, I don't think you should join. Like, just so you know, there's a really shitty initiation process where they like blindfold you and they punch you in the dick. Like, this is not, you're picturing a place that's, that's here to like help you and feel safe. This This is probably not it. Um, Meanwhile, Brandon's still drinking a lot, really depressed. And this is a, a story I didn't like about Brandon that I'm, I guess I'll share. One gal says that one night he basically pressures her into having sex with him by saying that if she didn't, he had nothing to live for. And she's so worried about the suicide risk, she has sex with him. Uh, So... I hate that a lot. The fraternity's chapter president is also really worried about Brandon. He feels like he's getting more and more unstable and that it's out of his ability to handle it. So he actually ends up calling the police and they ask Brandon, you have to leave this fraternity. You have to leave the house. Um, Brandon gets pissed and like, he's probably drunk. He's probably high rips apart his room and kind of goes on this tirade about death. So everyone's like, whoa, he's off the deep end. Oh, this just sounds like a horrible series of It's so sad. So Brandon moves off campus and a few months later, Josh is like, I'm now Alpha Kappa Lambda, even though you told me not to be. Do you want to come to a party with me? Your old fraternity. And... Brandon knows everybody that's going to be there. He can go as a guest. So he's like, yeah, I'll go. Um, So they go. And Josh is like, you guys should let Brandon back in. Like he gets kind of upset on behalf of Brandon and is like, you should let him back into the fraternity. Obviously to no avail. And I don't know how Brandon felt about that. So I'm not going to speculate. A month after this happens, though, a fraternity member gets up to go take a shower and sees a folded napkin that's been, like, pushed under his door, like a note for him. Inside the napkin is $48 cash, and it says, smoke a bowl in my memory. They find Josh's laptop in the library, playing music, and on top of it's another note, and it says, read me. And they open the laptop, because it's like, read me is on the laptop. And it's an essay about the trauma of a sexual assault that happened to him when he was in high school and how it's completely fucked his whole life. And the quotes that I saw from this note that he wrote on his laptop said things like, what doesn't kill you just isn't finished yet. Oh. Yeah. And it says, I just can't do it anymore. I love you all, but I lost. And he's found hanging in a storage room. Near his body, they find a crumpled up piece of paper on the ground that has Brandon's email on it. Okay. So there's a few concerns here 
One is like, is Brandon okay? He just lost his third friend. Yeah. Right? The other is... It's placing him at every single... What's going on with this guy in a more suspicious vibe way? There's a little nefarious activity happening. Well, what is going on? He's connected to all these people and they keep dying and the cops are like... And he's somewhere... He's either physically at the scene... Or his email. Well, imagine every time the cops show up, it's it's like this guy's here again in some either physically or in some stamped way. (sighs) They go to Brandon's house after they find Josh and he's acting really weird. One of the cops said that he saw like a vein in his neck pounding. Okay. Brandon, meanwhile, is like, yeah, I had done acid. And I was trying to seem okay because cops showed up at my door. So I was acting <laughs> also, weird. Also, even if his vein was throbbing, he's finding out one of his friends, friends died. Himself. Like, I, again, that Yeah, seems... and he's like, you have permission to go through all my shit and all my emails, all Except my... Except please don't test my blood because I'm fully high on that <laughs> right Yeah. <now. laughs> they also say that a counselor then asked Brandon, what would you do to help someone that was feeling this way in one of these situations. And he said, I I would give people step-by-step advice, which again, rubs people the wrong way. Um, Because obviously they're linking him to these, what kind of advice to get out of there? Like what's the advice? What's the advice? Especially because the first two happen in the, all three of them happened the same cause of death is the same, right? The hanging, yeah. And after Josh's suicide, Alex's mom gets really freaked out. And she's like, I don't like this. I don't like how this looks. I She had seen a crime scene photo of Alex's room after he had hung himself and felt like his room had been tidied in a way that felt suspicious to her, like someone had been there. He had kept his earnings from a restaurant he worked at in a box that they never found or that was empty, I guess. So she's like... I'm going to play detective. I need to know if someone else never had to do with this. Never get in between a mother. Never. Be very be very aware mothers will get to the bottom of it. So while she's playing detective, she finds out there was another young man in that town, nothing to do with the um, fraternity. fraternity, named Alex Vote, who was 21, who knew people. At Alpha Kappa Lambda, who knew people at Truman State, and he had also died. He died five months after Alex and Jake, and three months before Josh, right in the middle of this, what we'll call, I guess, a suicide cluster. He had worked as a cook at this place in town called the Wooden Nickel, and Brandon also had a job there washing dishes. Hmm. Also, Brandon, remember when he had to leave the frat and move? Yeah, off campus. Okay, off campus. Well, the building he moved into is owned by Alex Vogt's family. And Alex lived across the hall. Oh, wow. They became friends. They would drink. They would talk. They would play Settlers of Catan. Is it just a small town or is it like... He hung himself. In his apartment. Alex Mullen's mom is like another kid that knew Brandon hung himself. This is completely crazy. It's either a wild coincidence or Brandon is... The fact that Brandon is 
been privy to all of these. It's uh, and it's also like I said before with with suicides, you just want to blame someone. So it feels like he. I mean, oh, this so is a hard he, one. He was not the one that found the body. The guy's girlfriend, Madeline, found the body of Alex Vote, but he had run into them just a few hours before. Then he comforted her when she found the body, and he asked to see the body. He doesn't see the body, by the way. But Alex Mullen's mom goes to the police and is, like, asking about a few things that were in his room that she wants, like his fraternity paddle. And they're like, Brandon has it. So she goes to see Brandon. Oof. Oof, that is not which is a very I would want. She to... is also now dating a girl that Alex Mullins used to date. So as the mom, I think there's a lot of emotions there. We Oof, were talking about yeah. how you could read into this stuff or not. If you're the mom She's and some kid everything. is now dating your deceased son's girlfriend, has your son's clothes on, she notices that he has like a tattoo of a seven, which remember was like her son's number. I think it it really rubs her wrong. Well, and Valuable. they also have this tense kind of thing happen where she gets on her son's Facebook account and Brandon notices that his dead friend's Facebook account, someone's on it, and he gets really mad and writes something like, who are you? What are you doing on this account? This could really upset someone. And she's like, whoa, back off. I'm his mom. And then Brandon's <sighs> like, oh, I'm so sorry. And But I... And then somebody memorializes the account. She thinks it's him. So that you can't use it anymore. You can oh, make it where you're shit. like, this person is dead. So, so interesting. So, But she was she probably using it as like, I want to see what he was doing what his the last few days. I want to see where his head was at. And she thinks Brandon shuts that down. In order to like stop from looking at messages I don't think on that him or something? It, I don't even know if she thinks it's that. I think it's more just the presumption of... Was that his responsibility to do? Like, who has the right? Do you understand? Right. Totally. Um, that he's like overstepping what what should be the family's I responsibility. I mean, make no mistake. She thinks that there's something nefarious. She thinks that Brandon is gravitating towards people that are depressed and convincing them to kill themselves. She thinks that's what's happening. She thinks that's what happened to her son. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So actually what ends up happening is Alex's mom, Melissa, Alex Mullen's mom, gets a lawyer and they file a civil suit against the school and Alpha Kappa Lambda and they name Brandon in the death and they want to say like this guy committed voluntary manslaughter because he assisted. Right. Potentially. Alex Mullins. If you're looking at that too, the way you framed that he went and he touched the first two bodies right away, which like, if you're thinking nefarious, something bad, it's like his DNA is there. It's like that would justify any sort of... Completely. So she wants a jury trial. Here's the thing. We've talked about this before. This is a really tricky... Hard thing to Because we talked about this with I Love You, Now Die with Michelle Carter, remember? Where she was texting with her boyfriend and saying, kill yourself, kill yourself, and he did. And is she culpable? Um, What does it all mean? It's really, really hard to define. Yeah, like, I don't think you can... I mean... In legal terms, even just saying, how can you define what encourages suicide? Well, also, it's like... 
when you convict someone, it has to be beyond a reasonable doubt. In this story here, there's there's very we little, don't have we don't texts, have, we don't have emails, we are not well, privy to also, any I'm conversations. Curious if that is something that was not subpoenaed or was that not investigated because it wasn't a homicide, it well, was a suicide. Well, what's right? so interesting is that this article, I think, is really well written and really fair. This article in the New Yorker. When you read the stuff that CNN, The Post, and BuzzFeed had, those stories are like, this guy's a sociopath. They are not interested in presenting a balanced story. They're interested in presenting a a salacious, fun story. So they're being like, look, this guy's totally a sociopath. He's finding people and making them kill themselves. Isn't that crazy? Click this, click this, click this. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, So Brandon leaves school. It's too much. Yeah. He's not feeling good. He moves into um, a little place above a pizzeria and he starts working at the pizzeria. Before this lawsuit's filed against him, just a few months before, a 29-year-old gal is found dead in the apartment where Alex Vogt died. What happens is the apartment that Alex Vogt killed himself in, the off-campus, the kid that didn't go to that school. The one that was across from Brandon. That's right. A guy moves in, and his girlfriend, Glenna Hot, she moves in and ends up dying before the lawsuit's even filed. She has a liver hemorrhage accompanied by severe acute ethanol intoxication. Here's the thing. Brandon was the last person to see her alive. And she was really drunk. What happened was that he says he heard a thud in the afternoon, went across the hallway to investigate. The door was unlocked. He lets himself in, which is kind of questionable if you're not very close to those people. That makes me think they had some sort of relationship. And she's like, oh, hey, I just fell. And I want to be alone. Which I'm like, yeah. The it would door be really is weird if somebody also, walked into your apartment was and was like, oh, I'm just, I heard a noise. Like... If I made a loud noise and somebody walked into my home to check on me, I'd be like, it's also, it's an off campus. It's not, it's also, when Koa fell off the bed and I was like, I I knocked and I lived in that room. (laughs) It's a lot that he walks in, in my opinion. Yeah. He says to her, oh, well, if you need anything, I'm, you know, I'm right across the hall. And then the next thing, according to him, is the police come knocking at his door and they say, oh, the guy that lives across from you came home to find his girlfriend, Glenna, dead, no shirt on, a bunch of alcohol everywhere, pills everywhere. And they're like, hey, we've got to stop meeting like this. It's you? Like the police recognize Brandon and are like, really, dude? This is, no, really, we do have to stop meeting like this because this is really you insane. Seem like is a it killer. just a coincidence or is it a quinky dink? No. And they're right away like, what are those scratches on your arm? The implication being that there was some sort of struggle. And he's like, my cat scratched me. And I also work at a pizzeria. This is a burn from the pizzeria. And you can take pictures of my arms. And they're like, can we have your DNA? He's like, no. And he says he did that because he was worried about drugs, drug stuff, like the drugs would come back. Right. Um, He takes a lie detector test. He fails. Honestly, who cares? She had not been sexually assaulted, but... Did she have scratches in her hand? Did she have DNA under her nails? Remember that he says, I went in there 
it's again, to me, there's something freaky about like, oh, I heard a thud. So I went in and I talked to her and she was fine. And then later she's dead. There's something weird about it where you're like, are you saying that you went in there to cover your ass because there's DNA in there that's yours? Although he's not giving DNA. Interesting. I don't know. They're pretty confused about what to do with him because they're like, is this guy a killer or a the unluckiest tra- or guy in the whole wide world? Is he a traumatized witness to all these things? Right. Um, they go visit him at the pizzeria and they're like, hey, we want to know about the phrase die master because you wrote that on something that you gave a friend. And he's like, it's a drinking game. Basically, he realizes he's going to need to lawyer up, obviously. He realizes he's going to need to get a lawyer and his mom starts to go fund me for it because they don't have money for it. The people in the town are like comparing him to Ted Bundy because he's handsome and charming. They think that he's manipulating people. This is what people say about him. Somebody in town said Brandon went into a spout about how suicide was your own free will. And if you felt that it was the best decision for your life and that's where your life should go, then that was your own personal choice and no one should try to stop you. They should only try to understand and accept it. There's a girl that slept on his couch after he helped her avoid a guy at a party that was trying to like get with her that she wasn't into it. And he was like, just come sleep on my couch. And she tells him, Brandon, like I'm really, really depressed. And she says, that he comforted her and told her if she wanted to commit suicide, he would support her decision and that her friends and family would understand. She's super taken aback and is like, um, I'm pretty sure they wouldn't understand. Thanks so much, though. But it there are all to these people. Like, Here's the thing. Oof. You know this happens, though, that when somebody's revealed to be a killer or even suspicion around them. Everyone around is going to go, oh, I talked to that guy. He was a real creep. I have a story. I have a story. And it's really hard to know if they're making it up in their head, if they're blowing something out of proportion, if they're taking something that happened out of context because now they want to make sense of it. Also, you wonder, like, is he, like, I think what you said is totally accurate. It's like, is he this manipulative guy or... Is he traumatized by these suicides? And so his reaction of being like, they'd understand, they'd still love you. Like, maybe it's from his own, maybe he, Yeah, I don't know. Not just that. It's like for every person that says something like that, someone else will come forward and go, I was depressed too when I talked to him and he seemed anti-suicide. Like very traumatized by these events and wanting to help me genuinely and wanting to talk me out of suicide. For every one story, there's an opposite. Yes. There's no general trend that we can put too much focus on here. Right. Um, Ugh. Those poor families. Those, ugh. So he's got, Brandon's got his own problems. He, um, he grew up with a big family. They moved towns a couple times and he said that really messed with his social skills and his friendships and that he was depressed and... He also says, this is interesting, when he was in high school, he and his mom went to visit his grandma, and she had cancer, and they came upon her dead, and he was alone with the body, and he says it really shook him. He wasn't prepared for it. It was extremely traumatizing for him. Right. And the reason that he sort of attributes him being the guy to find these people dead 
is that he kind of thinks there was something in him that was trying to prevent anyone else from finding them because it was so traumatizing for him to see a dead body that he was trying to get to these people first so that no one else had to be the one to find them. Oh, yeah. He also says that the reason Josh Thomas had his email is that they had been friends talking on the phone and then his phone broke and they were starting to talk less. So he ran into him at some point and was like, you should just email me. And he blames himself a little bit because he's like, we weren't talking because of my phone. And I wonder if we had been talking. If he would have done it. Yeah. He would have had someone to talk to and I wasn't there is basically how he feels. Oof. As for like Brandon giving advice to like commit suicide to people, I don't think that's true. And the reason I don't think it's true is that the cops go to Brandon and they're like, you have a friend that's at the fraternity and they've been really traumatized by all these suicides and they're somebody that should be on medication and has gone off their medication. We want you to talk to them, like help us out and talk to them and try to get them. If the cops really thought Brandon was the guy that was making people kill themselves. Or do they feel like they were trying to trap him and see? Oh, interesting. I don't, I don't. I don't know about that. That seems really risky behavior because that's using somebody. Yeah, I don't think so. So, but it's, I'm just saying that. Why don't they just invest in a better counseling? That's the whole thing. Yeah. Like, it feels like that's a solution that actually would benefit. Well, and I just want to be clear that I know that Alex Mullins' mom feels like her son was really, really happy and that this came out of nowhere. And so the tendency is to blame someone else. But all four of the victims did have histories of depression and two of them had attempted suicide before. And then Brandon's friends just say, like, it is true that Brandon seems to be drawn to people that need help and are in pain. And that, yeah, maybe he has kind of a, like, a savior complex. It's not evil, it's sadness, you know? In October of 2018, there's another hanging death at the school. It has nothing to do with Brandon. So, again, I, I just right. cite that as, like... This school has a problem. It seems but also like our country has a problem. Our country has a problem. The school has a problem. Truman State does partner with a nonprofit that works with colleges on mental health issues and on suicide prevention. And they do this so that they can offer round-the-clock counseling, counseling in multiple languages... And they want to be able to offer students the ability to pick the gender and the sexual orientation of their therapist. Well, that's an improvement. Yeah. That's an improvement. Um, They also kind of change the way the school system works, where they're like, we're going to give you more time to decide if you want to drop or add courses. Like, see what the load feels like and then have this opportunity a little bit. Like, they're 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 trying, I guess. The latest news is that in August of 2020 a judge dismissed the accusations against Truman State and the fraternity and Brandon were the remaining defendants. And I don't know where the case stands today. But wow. it's a really complicated thing. Totally. Um, Thanks for sharing that story. Yeah, I that's mean, the story of the Truman State University suicide cluster. Do you mind if I get on a soapbox for a minute? Yeah, no, go ahead. Hop up. Your mental health is so important to take care of. There's, mm-hmm. there's resources for therapy. I'm in therapy. I love therapy. Find a therapist that works for you. They're not all gems, but when you find one, it's great. Why don't we make mental health care accessible to all? Why don't we put a priority? And like good, 
a good mental health. What I'm trying to communicate is we do need an emphasis on mental health care. We need health care in general in our country, and mental health care is completely lacking. Let's come up with some actionable legislation that actually assists young kids who are so vulnerable and even more so on social media nowadays. Like, why isn't anyone doing anything? That's what's so frustrating to me. Mm -hmm. And that's what this is related to. It's like, this is a fucking epidemic. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Ugh. I mean, we've all we all know someone, you know, like, and it's it's just like it's you're it does feel like loss, and it does feel like this kid Brandon became like um, a scapegoat, a scapegoat for something where I think that would be so much better. I think we I think we'd all be more comfortable with it was this guy and totally. he tricked these kids and he made them do it because the alternative is darker and sadder and it's much easier to have a bad guy that is making people do this than understand the realization idea that there's this mental health problem and that these kids needed help and they weren't given it it's what's interesting though too is i think like okay let's say for a thought experiment that brandon is the one doing this okay if even these four suicides are attributed to Brennan and we find out that this guy is a sociopath, that doesn't negate the fact that this is still a second leading killer amongst youth. Yeah. And it's like, why are we putting resources towards it? I mean, and I just want mental health care to be accessible and affordable for all those who need it. And I mm-hmm. think everybody needs it, frankly. Yeah. <laughs> I think everyone needs it. Don't talk to Etsy about your problems. Or Take do. it from me. But you know what? Like, or do. Yeah. Or, you know, and listen, you have friends, like you have people you can rely on and that's amazing. But sometimes like your friends can't handle it. And they, I, I can handle your body stuff for the record. I'm, I volunteer as tribute because I have it too. And we can, it's a blind leading the blind, but like, here we are. Here we are. Wow. Thanks for telling that story. I'm sorry. Yeah, I went sorry. On it's soapbox, such a though, hard but I, story. My turn. Do it. Okay, I got this information from Britannica, CBC News, All That's Interesting, Heavy, which is a funny website name, New York Times, Wikipedia, and Chasing the Ghost. Mm. I'm doing sort of the story of the Walenda, the Flying Walendas. Do you know this family? No. I'm going to start with Carl Walenda. Wait, it must be a circus family if they have the word the flying Flying. as part of it. Yes, it is a circus family. Very cool. So Carl Walenda, he's born in Germany in 1905, and he's born into a circus family. In fact, his, like, ancestry goes back generations, back to, like, 1780. And his family included, like, acrobat, aerialists, like, lion animal tamers. They just... We're like a circus family. And I kind of imagine, you know how Matt holds Griffin in one hand? Mm-hmm. That's what this family does with all their kids, too. Please don't call CPS. <laughs> call CBS, but don't call CPS. In Chicago, the Chicago public school system. If you're moving to Chicago, call them. Get a slot. <laughs> um, so, apparently, Carl Walenda, he had an abuse... I read one place that he had an abusive father who hit him so much that apparently he was deaf in one ear. So, like... I read that one place and it's enough to say and it's awful and I'm so sorry. But he started performing stunts when he was six years old. Cool. Like he'd love to do handstands. He would like busk and do like aerial tricks in Germany. I mean, I think all six year olds do that. It's probably just variable how good they are. (laughs) I think he was pretty darn good. (laughs) In fact, later on, there was an ad in the newspaper that said we're looking for an experienced 
handstand balancer with courage. <laughs> I love this ad. It's a great ad. And so he was like, that's, that's me. me. Straight up. That's me. I got it. So he signs up and he finds out that the ad was actually for a guy who's a tightrope walker <gasps> who wanted him to do a handstand on him. <gasps> So the guy apparently takes them out to this middle of the rope and they're like 40 feet off the ground or something. And the guy's like, okay, now do a handstand on me. And he's like, no, 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 I'm not. And the guy's like, well, then I'm going to tip this tightrope so you fall off. And he's like, okay. So he like does a handstand on this guy and this guy tightropes with Carl Walenda on him and they make it across. Wow. And Carl is like fucking bit. He's bit by the bug. He loves, he becomes a... Funambulist. Funambulist? Funambulist? Funambulist. Funambulist. That means a tightrope walker. Very cool word. When he's learning to tightrope walk, he's like, I don't do a net underneath me because it gives you a false sense of safety and it invites a fall. So he does all of his stunts without a net. Oh, that gives me so much anxiety and I don't like it. As you shouldn't. I just think um, we don't have to mess with that. Why are we Why are we inviting that? It reminds me of Free Solo, which is a movie I hate. It's a hard one to watch. I have not watched it for that reason. Even though I know the ending, I don't need to watch the anxiety I, like, part. I screamed for the whole thing. Of course you did. How could you not? So in 1922, Carl Walenda, he finds... It's 1922 minus 05. So he's like 17. Mm-hmm. So he finds the Great Walendas. It's a circus troupe, and um, it's comprised of his family. He gets his brother, Herman. He gets this girl, Helen, who will later become his wife, and a school friend, and they start doing high tightrope acts. Cool. He's famous for a three-man high pyramid on the high wider. So what it is is it's two people walking on a tightrope, and they have this harness in between them that's another tightrope. Mm-hmm. And they walk across with their, like, balancing sticks, which the balancing sticks, I think, are something like 20 to 30 feet long, and they mm-hmm. help with balance. And they're like between 20 and 42 pounds heavy, so they're like helps with balance. I don't know the physics of it, but mm-hmm. that's not what I'm here for. So anyway, so there's two guys on the tightrope walking in line. They have like a harness holding another tightrope, and somebody is on the top of that tightrope on a chair that has like two, and they're balancing on a chair, and they walk across. Mm-hmm insane without a fucking net he also rides bicycles on high wires rides them across they tour all through europe and finally they're noticed by ringling brothers barnum and bailey oh and they're like you've made it you've made it they saw them in cuba and they were like fucking come on in in 1928 they performed at madison square garden and their company got a 15 minute standing ovation that's crazy. Could That's you the craziest thing I've ever heard. Doing something like My that. My hands hurt when you say that. Beyond, but could you imagine like the feet and without a net? And they're on a fucking like five eighth inch tightrope. But I just. And I'm like really, ballet flats. Yes, I think physically what they're doing is amazing. I'm amazed by the 15 minute sustained clapping. Fair, fair. So Carl is this mastermind of stunting, and he likes to take things to new heights. So he develops... I see what you did there. I didn't even mean to. No, you did. I didn't. Oh, good one. Thank you. I'm smart, and I don't even know it. Don't so push humble. it. Come on. Um, so he's the mastermind. They start doing this seven-man pyramid in 1947. So it's like three tiers of what I said with yeah. a chair on the top. 
It's mm-hmm. insane. <laughs> yeah. A seven-man pyramid. So they're doing this all without. They're doing it for years and years and years. And in 1962, they're in Detroit. And there's the seven-man pyramid, and they're 38 feet high up in the air. The front guy of the whole pyramid, he goes, I can't hold on any longer. He starts faltering. The pyramid collapses. Two members of the troop are killed. It is Carl's son-in-law and his nephew. Mm. A third man goes down, and it's his son, and he's paralyzed for the rest of his life from the waist down. Mm. Walenda was in the pyramid. He holds on to the tightrope with his legs, so he holds on, and he saves his nephew's sister by holding on to her arms. I don't know why I said nephew's sister. It could have been his niece, it seems like. But maybe there's a birth thing that I don't know about, so I'm not going to assume. Okay. That's what the article said. But he's holding on to the tightrope with her attached to him. Yeah. And he survives. There was also a safety net that was brought out. But apparently his niece jumped down and she bounced off of it and she had a head injury from it. So, like, even with a safety net. It's still not chill. It's still not chill at all. Carl says of the accident, there's a picture in my mind of the ring down there and the boys. They are broken and still, and around them, there are pieces of balance poles and bars and the chair, just pieces. That picture is in my mind and I never lose it. If I look down once, I know I will see it again. Those boys, if I look, I go mad. I don't look. Oh my God, that's so sad. He like, performs the next day (gasps) no he's he says at the funeral he says the rest of life is just time to fill before doing the act he feels most alive when he's on the tightrope wow i can't believe he kept doing it that's so interesting could have seen that going different a couple months or a year later his sister-in-law she falls off the tightrope she dies 1972 his son accidentally, while he's climbing up to the tightrope. Wait, he, what do you mean? His son is paralyzed. He has a couple kids. Oh. This is the whole troop, man. Oh, got it, got the it. The flying Walendas. Or the of great Walendas. Why did I say flying? I think it is the flying Walendas. But he, the great Walendas started and then it turned into flying. Whatever. His son was climbing up to do a live wire mm-hmm. event and he was electrocuted <gasps> by a live wire on his climb up to the tightrope. Oh, my God. So, Carl Walenda is, like, a fucking famous tightrope walker at this point, right? Like, Mm -hmm. he's doing these death-defying things. Like, he um, broke records. So, he walked 1,800 feet across on a tightrope, um, 1,000 feet in the Tallulah Gorge in Georgia, which is, he says later, he's like, it's the only time he ever felt frightened. To walk the 1,000 feet on a tightrope across this gorge, it took him 19 minutes And he stopped to do two headstands on the tightrope. He can sit down. He can stand up. He can do headstands. Well, yeah, you want to be really, really good at it to bother with that sort of shenanigan. Beyond. He says, I feel better up there than I do down here. It is my whole life. Wow. His wife... After the accident in 62, she no longer watches him perform. She like goes in the back and she just prays. She's like praying, 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 praying. I don't think I could handle that level 
of anxiety. Absolutely not. Who could? Well, you know, Matt used to no. go He's, out and do mm-hmm. climb abandoned buildings in Manhattan that were under construction. He climbed the Brooklyn Bridge. And the Manhattan Bridge in the middle of the night. I mean, aside from me being worried he'd get arrested, I was like, I don't want to know. I don't want you anything. And he'd like send me a picture and I'd be like, I'm not looking at it. Yeah, you just have to. I'll put it on our Patreon, though. Yeah. The picture of Matt at the top of the Brooklyn Bridge. Totally, you shouldn't put that on. Ninja public. outfit. We should put that only on Patreon because we don't want to get him in trouble. <laughs> so he performs well into his 70s. He keeps performing. He keeps doing type. There's one where he's like at an opening in Pittsburgh of like um, the bicentennial, tenial, mm-hmm. and he's walking across a fucking baseball arena, and he has an American flag on both sides where he's like just fucking tightrope walking. So March twenty second, nineteen seventy eight. Carl is seventy three years old. He's in San Juan, Puerto Rico, and he is promoting a show with his daughter that he's going to do. And he's walking across these two hotels, 123 feet across, 120 feet, 10 stories high in the air. He's 10 stories up. Mm -hmm. So every time he goes through, he like tests the wind, you know, tests the wire. His um, grandson is on the other end of the wire because I think what happens is, is there has to be at like a certain like slack it has to be at in order for him to feel comfortable tight roping across Mm -hmm. and then the winds are like was only like 12 knots when he started his wife is in the back room praying and um he's walking across these two hotels 120 feet high up in the air while he's in the middle Mm. gust of wind the wind gets up to 30 miles an hour no this is what I watched last night, and I'm going to cry talking about it. The wind starts blowing, and you s- I can't believe I watched this video, y'all. This was... He starts faltering. He yelled to the troop, hold steady. Like, try to hold the wire steady. And they started yelling at him, sit, Poppy, sit. He falters for about 30 seconds. And he falls. Oh, my God. And it's all caught on film. (gasps) It was like, I can't, don't watch it. It's so traumatizing. Oh, my God. It's horrible. Don't watch it. Don't watch it. I can't believe he falls. He's 73 years old. And like his his family. His family's there. And it's live televised. It was live televised? Yes. <gasps> oh. He falls. He hits a parked car. He's pronounced dead at the hospital. They find out it was a combination of the high winds and the wire wasn't properly secured. What? Before his death, when he was interviewed, before he went and did this, he said, the only place I feel alive is on the wire. So, like, if there... I only thing I can tell myself to, like... Sort of, it's like, this is where his happy place was. But, like, watching an old man like that falter and fall, like, don't fucking watch. That's so sad. It was horrifying. So, the family kept performing. I can't believe these people. This is their seventh, I mean, their seventh generations of this. So I guess that's that's just their whole life. His legacy has been carried on by his family who knew that he loved like he this is what he loved to do and specifically this guy nick walenda who's his great grandson 
He was born in 1979, so a year after this incident. He's the seventh generation member of the Flying Walendas. He started walking on a wire while he was two, while his mom was holding his hand. His dad taught him how to do it at four. While he would train and stuff, his parents would throw things at him and even shoot him with a BB gun. Oh my! To help with his concentration, which feels like abusive. Yeah. In their act, he started as a clown and then did juggling and then was a dog trainer. And he started officially performing the tightrope at 13 years old. His dad is his safety coordinator. So he performs while his dad is the one keeping watch and making sure everything's good. He's still alive. He views it as like a mental feat. He trains six hours a day, six days a week. He does 10 hours of weights and five hours of aerobic exercise. But he's like more than physical. It's all mental. Mm-hmm. is what it is. He holds 11 Guinness Book of World Records, including the longest and highest bicycle ride at 250 feet long, 135 feet high. He did the highest tightrope while blindfolded. This is his great-grandson. Great-grandson. That's wow. how, but that the whole family in between got it, got still it. perform. Wow. I go to yoga, brag. Maybe it's been a year since I've gone. Gotta get back out there. Gotta get some life classes. And... They're like, if you really want to test your balance in tree pose, close your eyes. Can't do it. I no, can't do it. No, 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 no. He tightrope walks blindfolded. Think about that. I can't. I can't imagine. Unbelievable. He's walked 2,000 feet across a tightrope, which beats his grandfather's record. Here's the thing. I'm equally impressed by you doing all that and utilizing the insane. net. And utilizing the net while you do it. That's my only ask. I'm going to tell you right now, I'm so proud of you. Keep tightrope walking family use a net just use a net throw in the net it's they it doesn't it, make mean, you less of a tightrope walker i think what they say is it offers a false sense of security because even if you land and it's not safe and it invites here's what else fall. it does it, it saves your p- life when you fall to potential safety so i'm just going to tell you that there's this other thing about it where you don't die in 2011 nick and his mother delilah who's carl's granddaughter they go to San Juan, Puerto Rico, and they set up the tightrope, the same path what? that his grandfather did. You're kidding me. They recreate the walk what? that Carl performed when he died. The two of them walked from opposite ends to the middle. Delilah sits down. Nick walks over her, and they both complete it to safety. Nick says to be able to walk in his exact footsteps is an extremely huge honor. And I did this for him as much as I did it for my family and to get some closure too. Some other crazy feats that Nick has done is he's hung off a helicopter by just his toes and his teeth. He said that was probably the most physically grueling stunt that he did. disgusting. He walked on top of the turning Ferris wheel in guess where? France? Santa Cruz. Boardwalk. <gasps> no way. He's walked across that. He's walked across the Grand Canyon. Two buildings in Chicago. Skyscrapers. Niagara Falls was kind of like his dream. But in order to walk across Niagara Falls, he had to negotiate with the Canadian and the U.S. side, and it took two years for them to allow him to do so. And Andrew Cuomo... The governor at the time in 2011 had to sign a specific law that allowed him 
to be able to stunt because New York has anti-stunting rules or anti-stunting laws. Oh, that's really interesting. And in order, because he went from the New York side to the Canada side, so he had to bring his passport. Oh, across the tightrope to give it to him. That's so odd. You're going to be pleased to know they made him... Who's checking it up there, right? They made him wear a safety harness for this walk. Bless. And people were like, are you going to take it off midway? And he was like, he thought he was, because he was like, if it's it's hard for me with this safety harness on, I'm not doing it. I'm going to take it off, because if it adds bulk, like if it changes... The weight. His balance, the weight distribution, he would have taken off. And then he said, I didn't want people to get fired for me not wanting to take it off. Like if I took it off and something like someone would be in big trouble. Right. I couldn't, if it was just me, it's fine. But if it's other Here's people, Here's the thing. Not. I got to say, I bet you kind of uh, felt good in that harness and uh, go ahead, use it, you know? Feel free. Feel free on our Feel end. Feel free to add that to your act. In order to train for the Niagara Falls, he trained for like nine days before. He had fans, like hydro fans at him. So it was like water and wind because he's going to be over the fucking Niagara Falls. Mm-hmm. He's about to get wet and wind blown. So he like trained with all these elements thrown at him. The walk was 1,800 feet. It took him 25 minutes to walk across the Niagara Falls on a tightrope. Wow. He is a very religious man, and he credits all of this to Christianity and his faith. All right. Worth noting. Yeah, he's is still, it? Is it? I don't know. <laughs> well, and then he there was a conversation where someone's like, are you trying to test? <laughs> test Christ? Like, what's going on? And he's like, no, you don't test Christ. You He's born again. He's a born again guy. Let's be honest. The guy's a born again Christian. That whole thing. Not my bag. Um... But I can't imagine... Nor is tightrope walking, Nor is tightrope walking, to be fair. So we our Venn diagram of interest very, very seldom overlaps. But I can't imagine your grandfather recreating that. No, because also, like, you want to be level-headed, I imagine, while you're doing that. And I feel like doing that walk would be an extremely emotional thing to do. Oof. Wow. What a story. That's the Walinda family. Two of them. I mean... There's plenty of other family members, yeah. but I did two of the most famous ones. What an incredible tale. And very sad. And I'm going to go ahead and say needlessly so. I really, that free solo guy, total dick. Like, I was like, put on a harness. Okay. Get a belay, buddy. It's not a big deal. Like, really, just, uh, but, but, let's create, okay, it's so minute, but when I was dating my ex-boyfriend and he would ride his bike without a helmet, it was one of those things where I was like, I would get so mad. Yeah. Like, truly rage. And so much so that I was like, and so whenever he, like, crashed his bike or something, he'd, thank God, was alive, but would come to me and be like, don't get mad. Yeah. And his head would be scraped up and you're sitting there and you're like, listen... It's it gives not new meaning you. to it's, toxic masculinity because it is... It's not just a... Literally a, toxic. It's you toxic. You will die from trying to be like, check out my big dick energy. I'm going to bring it. I and wear I'm going to be helmet. this dangerous. It's like, just why? What does it say about... Um, what is it? Aggressive female energy? Big ovary energy? B-O-E? Because, because I was such a dick to him. Not a dick. I cared about him enough to, like, fight about wearing a helmet Mm -hmm. that I refused to go anywhere without my own. (laughs) Like, it becomes, like, we have big dick energy, we have big tit energy. I'm going to say BTE. I have BTE massive about wearing my helmet, and it's it's so aggressive that I'll be like, I'm not fucking leaving without my helmet. 
moral of the story is wear a helmet. But I think what bothers me about the toxic masculinity of it all is I looked at him and I was like, listen, oh, it's going to happen again. <laughs> Sounds like he's phoning it in. <laughs> Some BDE right there, you know what I mean? What bothered me about it is I was like, if you were by yourself mm-hmm. and you choose not to wear a helmet, okay, stupid. I have opinions about it, but I have no say in it. It's not me. But the problem is, is if something were to happen to you, do you know how much it would hurt me? Do you know how sad I'd be? Like, yeah. do you want to be responsible for that? Mm-hmm. That's what pisses me off about this toxic, totally. toxic masculinity shit. It's like, it's not just you. Like, I th- I go through the day with my BTE thinking about everybody around me. Mm-hmm. And your BDE is like you think about one thing. Yeah. And that's you. And, and your I big dick. Into, and, your bid, and your BD. <laughs> well, I got BTs, so come at me, bro. <laughs> BTE. Title of the episode, Big Ten Energy. Anyway, um, that's the story. That's a crazy story. That was... Guys, what an app, right? Are you guys exhausted? I Coa think you know that we are. And I think Coa's having a meltdown, so let's go investigate. Let's go investigate. I'm going to get some more water. Hey, yeah. guys. After these messages, actually we'll be forgot, right back. I forgot to mention something in the story. You should join Patreon. Oh, right. Here's the thing. Join Patreon. Join Patreon. Join. Why haven't you joined Patreon? Join Patreon. Join Patreon. It's It's the the only thing thing I like about you. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Wear a helmet. Uh,